Welcome to Worldwide Waste, a podcast about how digital is killing the planet and what to do about it. Chris Coyer is a web designer and developer who built CSS Tricks, a website all about building websites that's been going strong for more than 10 years. He's a co-founder of CodePen, a playground for front-end web development. Along with Dave Rupert, another brilliant designer, he's the co-host of a podcast called Shop Talk, a show about building websites. Chris is a brilliant all-round guy and just a really nice person. Chris is worried that the web is going in the wrong direction. Too big, too slow, too complicated, too much stuff. A disconnect between the people who make websites and the people who use them. He's shocked at just how big websites have become. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. I mean, 10x, you're saying that over, you know, a decade and a half of size of websites. Okay, that's bad. It's bad because it's slowing down that metric. It would be interesting to see what those what those seconds for desktop and mobile were 15 years ago, but we wouldn't have a mobile number because that wasn't really a thing then. But are is that getting slower too? It it probably is. Yeah. I think it is. I saw saw some studies. I saw some studies, you know, back in 2013, where it was about three or four seconds or five seconds in in that sort of territory. So uh, the data that I'm seeing, Chris, is that even with the increased bandwidth, that years ago, it was better. Things get worse with time. I think of a funny one. I like when I used to change the channel as a kid on my TV, you just, you'd change this knob, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm 40 about, so it's, uh, you know, I'm, th- things changed over time, but there used to be some old TVs, you change that and you just change it and instantaneously the channel would change. <laughs> and, uh, and that now we have these cable boxes and stuff. I watch my parents t- try to change the channel. It takes like four seconds to change the channel. You know, I know we're talking about the web, but I'm like, why did that get slower over time? <laughs> That's so weird. Exactly. I mean, that's a great point. That that really annoys me. Like when I'm in uh, hotels or whatever, and yeah, like digitally changing the channel is a pain <laughs> in the ass. You know, like I think is yeah, this stuff supposed to get better? Like, uh, how did this? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so, but okay, so that that is happening, and it's a and it's a problem. And so, one way to you know, approach that, which I think, you know, I, I, I've heard stats like this over and over. You have to, because we go to the, we go to a lot of the same conferences and there'll be a, like, you know, there'll be a talk, you know, including your own, but you know, some people just talk specifically about web performance. They all open like this, you know, they open with statistics about how bad it's gotten. And so there's a lot of evangelism happening there. There's more tooling, there's more people talking about it. There's more consultants in the area, yada, yada. You know, people are trying to tackle it. And it's not working. Overall, it's not working. And the story is the same for accessibility, too. It's like lots of people talking about it. We know it's a big problem. And yet, as you measure it, it gets worse over time. And so that's such a sucky problem that it feels a little overwhelming. It feels a little bit like the virus does. Like, I I, I feel helpless. I can't do anything. And why? Like, I mean, what is the forces? Because there's obviously... There's all these forces at play. What's the this inexorable force that's pushing it bigger all the time? Or set of forces? You know, I hear this one too. I can't link you to a study or anything, but I bet you've heard it too. 
it reminds me about here, here's two of them. One of them is like um, foot football players, like the like the United States kind of football, where they wear the big pads and the oblong ball, you know, and pass and run and stuff. They wear big, thick, heavy pads and helmets, and they smash into each other and try to move the ball. And safety is a big concern and a big topic around that. And they say that <laughs> if you build a better helmet which they try to do to reduce concussions and keep players safe and all that. The end result sometimes is the players just smash into each other harder. <laughs> You've given them this equipment and you're trying to solve it with technology, but it's the end result isn't really working because they just have better equipment, so they smash into each other. I also think of like uh, car safety. Whereas like a, you know, an old car and the invention of cars, they went, you know, whatever, 15 miles an hour. And they were still dangerous because, you know, I don't know, you'd go flying out of it or the thing wasn't built for safety like they are now. Fast forward to now, we have cars that are much, much safer and seatbelts and airbags and all this stuff, but we drive 85 miles an hour. So the danger is still there. So like, it's like we improve the technology and then we just get more reckless with the technology. So it's just, that's the force at work. If web designers design kit for professional footballers, right? You know, they'd get on the pitch and they wouldn't be able to run. Right. Like, you know, because if you think that performance like is so critical, right? You know, in the experience, uh, you, the, 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 the linebacker would try to run and, and he'd be so weighed down with crap that he, he'd be running at half the speed he's been running at four years ago. And, and like if web designers design cars, Right. You'd put the you'd put the pedal to the metal and you'd go at 40 miles an hour max speed. You know, you, you, we think we're designing Ferraris. Like we think we're designing Ferraris, but we're designing tractors. Like the when you actually look at the essentiality, we know that performance from a, a customers from a use point of view is critical. Like this is not a like you can argue one way about accessibility. Oh, nobody really cares about accessibility because, you know, because they're just, you know, that's only a tiny fraction of the audience. So so you can see the Machiavellian logic at play for accessibility, but it's like a Dumbo logic for performance for everyone else like it's it's not as if you're you're mm-hmm. you're you're improving you're actually making the thing worse yeah yeah i you know the just to speak to forces a little bit i think you know it's <laughs> we've probably heard this over and over again but i'm just going to say it again it's that you know when you're a developer and you're building something that you build it with the tools that you you happen to have in front of you at the moment. And tons of web developers are just doing well in the economy right now. I am doing just fine. I have a MacBook Pro. It costs me many thousands of dollars. I sit here in my office. Uh, it's a pretty nice little office. In fact, I'm recording this in a sound booth, which certainly not most people have. Uh, it's just an advantage that I have. And I have really fast internet. In fact, we ordered some business grade internet for this office, which is surely much more than average people pay for. So I have an amazing computer with amazing internet. And I use, you know, a desktop browser on my machine. And if I had no, if I just didn't care about performance, I could build websites that were are tremendously heavy and tremendously full of bandwidth sucking things 
in my experience, as I build it, is fine. I, I can't even tell the difference. And, 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 and I'm just not thinking about the rest of the world or people that use different devices or have different bandwidth considerations. I mean, I can go to the website unsplash.com. It's a great resource. I, nothing against Unsplash. It's really neat. They have free stock photography for all kinds of stuff. I can look up dog on Unsplash and have wonderful pictures of dogs that I can just download and use even commercially. And if I just hit that download button, I'll get a picture of a dog. And the dog is, this one I just grabbed is 1.6 megabytes. So I'm sure there's lots of developers in the world that then take that picture of a dog and they just put it somewhere on their website. And now they have a picture of a dog there. That's 1.6 megabytes. It's massive. You know, and all the, think of all the electricity and all that. So I know you care about stuff like, you know, or that's kind of the part of what's happening in your worldwide waste book, right? It's talking about the, the waste of bandwidth and electricity that goes with that. But look how easy it was for me to do. I think that's the, when you're talking about forces at work, it's because it's so easy to build in a high consumption way. It's so easy to grab high resolution images off your camera. It's so easy to, npm install huge libraries and just use them the developer ergonomics for using huge resource is so easy that people just do it i just had a a, a call with uh, a senior person in in toyota about these broad subjects because they they've really began to address this problem and um she was telling me about how you know over the years they've been talking about you know they're obsessed with quality you know, and and reliability. That's a kind of the the Toyota way, so to speak, Kaizen and all that sort of stuff. And and said in the early days of the web, there was a kind of a view that the web was not Toyota. The website was not really, you know, because it was so new, the whole digital team. And, you know, there was not really Toyota. <laughs> so I, if you understand what I'm kind of trying to get at, that, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the web. That's not all, uh, cars. And, you know, we we are obsessive about quality when it comes to our cars. But when it comes to the web, what is quality? You know, so, well, that, that question they began to ask after a period mm-hmm. of time. And they said, well, what is quality? We, we are obsessed with quality. Uh, uh, when it comes to cars, but what is quality when it comes to the web? And they, and it took them years of discussing and everything like that. And finally, they actually realized that, that, um, part of quality is the experience that the person has, you know, downloading the page, not just downloading the page, you know, whether there's an error, whether there's broken links, whether there's, so now they've created a whole internal system. Uh, that if something happens on the website, it triggers a whole set of processes that become management decisions, that it tracks back what agency created the code, it, it sets, it sends a message out to them. And all of this stuff needs to be actioned within days, sometimes within hours. Wow. Like I was at a, um, I was giving an evening presentation with uh, Toyota uh, about six months ago, and um, we had finished the presentation. We're sitting down uh, having a meal, and this senior executive got a call, and she got up, and she had to go away, and she said, oh, and then she came back, and she said, sorry about that. I just had to deal with something. I said, oh, what what was it about? She said, oh, one of the websites, there was a problem with one of the websites, that there's an SMS 
messaging system that if there's delays or problems, senior executives get messages at night. <laughs> what? You know, and, I, and, and that was what I was saying. What? You do that? <laughs> so Toyota, the very creators of, of Kaizen or the philosophy behind all this, they take, they're, they're taking that to the web too, you're saying? They're taking it to web, but you know what? You know what they've done, which is super genius. I think they they have in their headquarters this big orb, like a like a UFO, right? Uh, that they call Simon from some game. I don't remember the game, but it was seemingly a very popular game. Maybe in their their European headquarters are, are in Belgium, and it's it, it's connected. To metric to the metric system, particularly download speeds and and bugs and errors, and if everything is going great, met this big orb is white, it, it, like it's lit up, so it's white. Mm-hmm. But if, if if problems start to occur in the in the environment, uh, it starts going different colors. So now everyone's aware because uh, it's an open plan, a kind of building, an office, and people all walking down the corridor can see, oh, Simon is going red. <laughs> you know, so they've a kind of externalized the sense of the ex- the pain of the customer. They've, they've, they've colorized the experience of the customer and I kind of brought that color set of colors into the headquarters so that people can kind of uh, touch the. I'm not. You know. You know. See what? Isn't isn't that an amazing? Idea? Yeah, it becomes like water cooler talk. You know, you're you, even if you're not directly involved in the product. If you see a light on the ceiling, the wrong color, you might be like that. Becomes the conversation. What's wrong? What, but but is there something, Chris? You know, because you're a, a developer, a thinker. Mm-hmm. Is there something that y- you could begin to think about that could somehow in your wonderful, amazing environment with, you know, amazing bandwidth that at the same time when you're developing, uh, there's these red lights go on or, you know, or some, how can we design into the development process? Um, Maybe first it's a management issue to establish quality, but somehow that makes the developer feel a bit the experience that they're developing or somehow gives them triggers or have you seen anything? Is there have you any, anything that triggers or brainstorms? Yeah, not this good, but I'll say that I think the technology is there to enable this. So I think of things like um, performance budgets is one of them, which is, you know, we allocate this these metrics are what's important for this website. And, you know, websites are, these days are constantly evolved. You know, a big website uh, of, of pretty much any scale is probably pushed to many times a day. That's just kind of how websites are built these days. And there's all kinds of processes in place to um, watch them. For example, developers write tests for their website that, you know, there, there's this JavaScript function and we're going to give it X, Y, and we expect back Y, Z. And if it doesn't pass that, the code isn't allowed to go to the website. So that's long been established already. This website better pass these tests, otherwise alarms go off. But the alarms that go off are often pretty benign. They're like a Slack channel gets pinged or an email gets generated or something. But still, 
the technology's there. What that could power instead is the lights changing color in an office or something, you know, test failing. But that's just tests. There's also this, you know, like the performance budgets I mentioned. That's a form of a test. It spins up the website. It gets some performance metrics from that website. And it's essentially failing a test if the metrics go over those bars. It takes too long to load seconds-wise, or it goes over a kilobyte limit or something. That's akin to failing a test. And there's more that can get piled on this, too. There's accessibility testing. That can be automated, at least to some degree. Run this website through accessibility tests, and if it fails, that's akin to failing a test, and I want Simon to change colors on the ceiling when that type of thing happens. So I think that the technology is ready for it. It's just what we do with it. It's like taking those essentially failed tests more seriously and expanding them culturally in an organization, you know? Yeah, and and, and I'm thinking of what you said earlier because I've thought about these sorts of things a lot or <laughs> tried to think about them and I kind of, you know, the, the, the great computer, etc., uh, and that you kind of design, or I'm not saying you, but it's it's easy to to design, you know, for what you have. But let's say we were designing bicycles, or we were designing windows. You know, we'd have to design a window that fit into the guy's house or the guy, the woman's house. We'd, you know, we'd have to design a bicycle that people can actually ride. It, it, it there, what is missing? Like there's these constraints. Like you, you know, when you're designing a car, it has to meet safety standards. Yeah, it, it has to. You have to be able to get into it. You know, you have mm-hmm. to. There's certain things that just have to work. Yet on the web, it seems you can design. Like I, I saw this environment, and they had a great uh, intent, but they were designing um, this sort of service to help. Um, uh, recent uh, immigrants. I think it was around the time of 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 the the Syrian war that 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 were coming to Europe, and they designed it in a with such a heavy JavaScript that the immigrants had they had you know smartphones, but they were really cheap. They couldn't use it because. You know, all the smartphones that they did have were just really cheap, older versions of phones. So practically nobody that was actually supposed to be able to use it could use it. And they and these people had been trying to do something good, but you know what is it that there's a constraint for a bicycle? There's a constraint for a car. There's a constraint for a window. But there doesn't seem to be a basic set of constraints for a website. Yeah, right. Well, you'd know if you had a bicycle shop, right? You're trying to sell a bicycle, and if you forgot to put a seat on it, somebody at the the sales, the bicycle salesman is going to be like, look, nobody's buying the bike. You can't sit on it. You know, there's a very direct line there. With a website, you just ship it and you hope, you know, and so the, there's not, you're not face-to-face with somebody, which is which is missing a little bit. But that, that's really interesting stuff. You know, I talked about the failing of tests. That kind of happens before you ship a website, theoretically, but there should be the same kind of test after it goes out, which is probably what you're getting at here a little bit. Yeah, but it, it, it's, yeah, well, it's like this, Chris. It's a, the test says um, you don't have a saddle <laughs> right. and it still ships. <laughs> you're like, you know, like it, it, the test comes back, no saddle on bicycle. <laughs> ah, yeah, oh, yeah, ship. 
<laughs> like, like it's like, yeah, it's strange, isn't it? You know, we're, we're in this. Is it part of digital that we're just in this surreal world where we're we're disconnected from the use of the things that we create? Yeah, that's 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 it, isn't it? That's the that's the danger, perhaps. Or or it's, sometimes it's more insidious than that. Like, hey, it didn't work for somebody who had a low powered phone, but it's easy it's it's easy to justify that away. Even if you know that information, you can just be like, eh, they're probably poor then, so you know they're not going to upgrade on my service anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, it's easy to just not care. Like it, to, to that, but I found it, Chris, in areas where you're trying to sell to poor people. <laughs> you know, like I right. found it, <laughs> you're I trying found it, to. Like I mean, you can you can say that that guy that guy's an asshole. Okay, but the, the, that guy's a logical asshole. You know, but we've got illogical assholes. We've got people who are, you know, making an experience for for people they need. That's horrible. You know, it's not even. Yeah, that is, that is incredible, right? Just to, it's shipping a bicycle without a saddle. You're like, yeah. how did you even manage to do that? Unbelievable. I don't know that I have any answers to that, but it, it is rather unbelievable, isn't it? And maybe, maybe it is like as you were saying, Chris, you know, there that you know the the experience or that that of what I was talking about that we do, how do we bring the tactile experience more into the design process of you know you can you, you can feel when you're designing the window you know you 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 feel that window you see you're looking at it and you're saying hey that's not going to fit <laughs> you know like uh you know like that mm-hmm. window's that that window looks weird you know you just know that window's not going to fit into that house or you know and we we've lost digital a kind of it's 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 like the it's like the coronavirus it takes away our our ability to smell and and to to touch you know we're we're a kind of are are we in a way disabled as human beings as digital designers yeah that's uh, it's a powerful thought really i mean it, <laughs> So some of it is like, well, it's early, you know, like, it, you know, the web's a couple decades old, maybe. So maybe some of this stuff will shake out, like the technology will evolve such that it gets better and we stop making these stupid mistakes. But I'm not so sure, you know, it seems like these are fundamental problems with the fact that we're not face to face with our customers. So what do you do in a situation where you're not face to face with your customers? How do you make sure of that stuff? And my mind keeps going to automated solutions. You know, maybe testing gets better. Maybe monitoring gets better. Maybe maybe there's a way that I can take a top task and um, ensure that some percentage of people are accomplishing it. And if I can't, you know, then that sends off alarms if people aren't doing it. So I know that the thing I built continues to do the thing that I sent it to do. But I, I don't know how, I don't know that that's always possible or it's not really straightforward. It's not as simple as a person standing at the end of a row with a clipboard saying does it have a saddle or not it's just harder than that that's a problem sadly and maybe absolutely automated but maybe part of it is is chris i remember um uh, 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 tomer sharon telling me he, he used to work he used to be a senior researcher um user experience guy in google years years ago and they they would have a 
uh, uh, Fridays, uh, 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 customer Fridays, I think they called it. Once a month, they bring a bunch of developers out and they'd visit people, visit small businesses, visit and just watch how they searched, you know, and that, you know, that, that, that we, even in the best automated systems, we still need a little bit of tactile immersion in the world, you know, somehow bring in, like uh, the Canadian government web team, every evening they, they test about 12 coronavirus tasks. So, uh, can you find the symptoms for, you know, where, how much benefit do you, you're this person, how much benefit do you qualify for? You know, just also a kind of top tasky type of stuff. Every evening, they do, they're practically every evening they're testing. So that we're, we're giving these, now it's semi-automated. They're not doing, it's not live, but it's that a kind of, um, usertesting.com type of stuff so but they they right. look at the they look at the videos the next day they analyze them and then they say oh that didn't work that or change that content they can't oh look they can't find and and then they they initiate a series of changes the next day and they're constantly evolving their content and their architecture based on this constant feedback uh, and they also get feedback in from the call center saying, oh, they're, they're uh, big, big stuff about masks now, masks, masks. We've seen a big uptake on calls about. So they've a kind of, they've modeled this constant. I think, I think you really need that, like that for all the wonderful stuff. You can't yeah. beat a, a, just a little bit of immersion into the world of use. I think of, um, uh, to make this an ad for any particular product, but I have um, a little bit of experience with this product called Full Story, and it's it's an analytics kind of platform. Um, but the way that it records the data for you to look at, um, it's a little you know, as you mentioned, user testing. It, it's a little bit like that, except for it's not you're not like looking at the person's face; you're just watching them use the website. But it doesn't record just a few a handful of people. It records literally everyone that uses your website and you have to be, you know, careful to anonymize it and such to make sure that, you know, you're, you're handling the, the privacy stuff okay. But you can literally sit there and watch people use your website every single session of somebody that uses your website. And then you and then from there, you start to scope down what they're doing. So you're like, I don't want to look at everybody who's using the website. I only want people that are at this URL. Or first went to this URL and then went to this URL or searched for this term or clicked this button. And then you scope down into these segments, certain people that are using your website. And it gives you a lot of insight into what people are actually doing on a website. And it, the crux of it is that it records everything so that, you know, you can, you just know more. And so you can start to look at that stuff. And then you can set up kind of alerts type of stuff. Like what if this segment of users drops 25% overnight? Oh, I want to know that because that's an important segment of users. So that, that you know, just as a tech guy, I think my mind goes to stuff like, I don't know if the, it's always an automated solution that goes to that, but it's, it's worth a look, I think. It's, sometimes I think automation can be, can be helpful. Well, maybe changing uh, tack a little bit, but not not entirely. But um, the the stuff that I've been really focused on the last twelve months around, you know, worldwide waste and and this concept I'm trying to explore about the Earth experience. That you know that 
that digital has a weight. You know, uh, yeah, people say, oh, conferencing is much better than driving to a meeting. I, there's no question. There's no question. But but when you, you know, are conferencing in super high HD and you're doing it on, you know, two big 72 inch screens in a in a room and, and you're doing it all day long and you're storing the videos in the cloud and, you know, it's still not as much as you know, driving 30 or 40 miles, but it begins to build up. And when there's 50 people on the call and but what it is, is it's not zero. Like it's not you are creating some pollution. Like I used to think for years, ah, I don't really create any pollution. I work in digital. But, you know, we we've created 10 billion smartphones since 2007. Mm -hmm. The physical e-waste is big number. Fifty million tons. Like it's we'd we'd cover Manhattan with it every year. It, just physical e-waste with with cables and screens and old phones and and all all that sort of stuff. And and now and it's we, notoriously hard to uh, to recycle. To to recycle, right? And and information we cre we're in zettabytes, so we've created you know, more data in the last two years than in the last previous uh, uh, history. So one thing I'm noticing that although the unit cost of digital is very, very energy efficient, you know, there's very little, the smartphone is very energy efficient and a, the modern laptop is quite energy efficient. It's just there's so much of them we are we are now creating 8k files that nobody can see <laughs> you know the we're creating this world of waste where digital could be so much better if we thought about it a bit more you know and we're more conscious of th the environmental impact we could digital could be this fabulous supporter of improving climate change yet because our habits are so wasteful i i think you know that, that we never think about the the environmental impact of our digital behaviors am i being crazy or or you know is that something that that has a kind of triggered some thoughts in your head i mean it it it, it has because i i you just see it more and more you see from my perspective, you see, I, I see things that are just like it's starting to be taken for granted that every commit that I push to the world is like forever saved, which to me is like a a new concept. You know, like I guess in my comeuppance as a developer, I was kind of like, oh, you you push up files and you change them, so that that's just change. And I have so much disk space, and that I that's a finite resource, and I change the files on there. But now it's like if I open a photo and edit it, well, that photo exists, but the photo before I edit it exists too. And if I edit it 10 times, then I have 10 copies of that photo. And that became possible. It just, the, the reason we did that is because it just became possible to do so. And so we did it. You know, it's just that was the, the force was, it's possible. So let's do it. And now that's manifesting over and over. You know, like the fact that a Zoom call, for example, can just, trivially you click a checkbox and now it's stored forever that's wild and they do it because it's uh, it's a feature you know like yeah, maybe maybe that appeals to some companies so that they'll, they'll pay a few bucks for that because that's important to them and 
that, hey, cloud storage is cheap enough to do it, so they do it. But you're, I, I, I don't know. I don't have data and information to find out what it, it seems like this is just ballooning and that, you know, the countrysides will be filled with data centers, you know. It is. Oh, it, it, yeah. It, it's ballooning, Chris. L- like, as I said, in the last two years, we have created more data wow. than in all of previous history. That, I mean, does that point to, you know, tearing down a farm to put up a data center? Are we there? Is it pretty soon? We're beginning to get to points of like r- right now we're we're into zettabytes right of of, of data, and mm-hmm. I was calculating how much if we printed out a zettabyte, how much would a zettabyte you know in in a typical if a zettabyte was turned into data and it was print printed out, I calculated that to print out one zettabyte uh, would t- would require twenty trillion trees. Uh-huh. So r- right now on the planet. Right now, there's three trillion trees. So the total number of trees on the planet is 20 trillion trees, or is, is, is three trillion. It would require 20 trillion to, to print out a, a, a zettabyte. And by 2030 or so, it's estimated we'll have over 2,000 zettabytes <laughs> of data. So, so we, are, we are getting to data levels that are, you know... And and it is those things, and ninety percent of it is crap. It's it's that ten first ninety percent of data is never accessed three months after it was created. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, the technology of this stuff matters. Not to downplay that because that's an incredibly big deal. But if if technology somehow gets really fancy and you can start storing a zettabyte on a diamond or something, then it's kind of like I don't. I guess it didn't matter then. You know, like we found a way to store it that was that was low energy and you know yeah so so hopefully that catches up yeah well yeah and some of it is catching up but i think that's in a way the problem in because it's never it's never zero energy you know so even though of course a a megabyte of data back in in 1967 would have would have cost you a million dollars right you know, I'm store. So the storage costs have come down enormously, but in many ways, they've just facilitated bad habits in in, you know, doing things to think ah, it's cheap, you know, and this stuff does exist in data centers. These data centers do have a million computers in them. And, you know, think about What's going to happen if we store this for 20, 30, 40, 50 years? I mean, these systems will will not even last. So while the costs have come down, they are never going to get to zero. Yeah, things have a way of not working out how you want them to, right? Like safety doesn't get better. Performance isn't getting better. Accessibility isn't getting better. What would make us think that this would get any better either? You know, (laughs) things have a kind of a gnarly way of, of not working out how you want them to. Yeah, in, in, and, and this sense of like, you know, that thinking about, um, like, I was looking at in this, in the podcasting and we we're saying, well, what's the best way to save this and, and to edit it? And, you know, of course, if you come, if you know a musical background, oh, you say, let's do it in a WAV format. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll edit it in a WAV format and we'll, we'll save MP3. So, but then I started doing a little reading about, now I was saying, well, professional journalists, 
out on the road are 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 recording an MP3 and and uh, editing and their editors are editing an MP3 and I think oh that you know but you're going to lose a bit of quality aren't you going to lose you know it's not so I decided to do an experiment and I I, I recorded the same thing in a WAV and I, I recorded it then in MP3. Uh, just 30 seconds of speech or whatever. And then I edited the WAV in, in using WAV and then I, I saved it to MP3. And I edited the MP3 and MP3 and I saved it to MP3. And then I, I asked a bunch of people, I said, can you hear any difference? Uh, so I gave them two files, you know, and, and people came back and nobody could uh, hear a difference. And I said, um, to one guy came back to me and he says, and I listened to it on really expensive speaker, on really expensive headphones. Yeah. You know, he was a, 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 an audio geek. And he says, I can't hear any difference. So then I says, well, why do we edit an MP3 if it's only a podcast then? You know, if you're only dealing, because a, a, a WAV is like 10 times heavier. And do and, and you see what I'm getting at? The, kind of the consciousness of, we don't choose the lightest option we, uh, you know, we off, we often overdo it. Yeah, just in case you need to go. Yeah, I know MP3 is just as good as WAV, but I'm still going to do it in WAV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know what you mean there. I don't even know what to say. It'd be interesting to hear what what somebody like from the Internet Archive has to say. Like, is there like would you, would they say like no, the WAV is important because X, Y, and Z, or would they say, oh no, absolutely, S save the MP3? You know, you 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 wonder. Yeah, if there was know. a reason, if you had a, I, I totally agree with that. But you know, do, does the ar does the archive need to uh, archive the forty edits you did to that photo? Yeah, right. That's the point. Is that is there? Can we evolve our thinking to be to be more intelligent about what what to kind of carve away from the back? We don't ask those questions, do we? What is useful? What should we store? What? Because when we store everything, it'll be incredibly hard to find anything. It's funny that if you made your life's work getting people to go back through their archives and do do what you did you make some impact, you know? Or if you convinced Microsoft to take one tiny little look at some server in a closet, it'd probably have 10x the impact, you know? Because they probably have some computer somewhere that has <laughs> server logs from 2004 on it that are terabytes, jillions of terabytes big. You know, it's, it's funny that, I don't know, it's like, again, not trying to like discount any particular effort here, but it's it's like you get the most bang for your buck when when it's done at scale you know when when it's like if digital was a house we'd live in one room it would be a 16 room house we'd live in one room and and the other 15 rooms would be stuffed to the gills of stuff we'll never use and then every year we get two more rooms that are stuffed to the gill with stuff we never use it would be yeah, I mean that's kind of, that's a pretty apt metaphor for digital right now. I think, and it's you know the trend points the wrong way, right? That storage is going to continue to get cheaper. Cloud services are going to get continue to get better and faster and more affordable, and more people have access to them. It's just it's unfortunate, but I would, it seems like the trend is is pointing the wrong way in a way that it's pro 
I, I read one study which says it is 3,000 times more energy efficient to store locally than to store to the cloud. Most of us are becoming much more conscious about our, our physical footprint, but we still have not a kind of opened up that conscious uh, consciousness of our digital footprint. Right, right. Yeah, the the developer me thinks about the uh, some other possibilities too. You know, like what do you have that requires like an an active server? You know, something that needs to be like hooked up to the actual internet and 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 you know responding to requests and is like awake. You know, that kind of has different energy requirements than a server that's just more dormant, that's just full of of full of static files that's just kind of sitting there. That that the kind of type of storage is is probably important to consider too. Here's a a related concept. Uh, you know, Amazon AWS, right? It, depending on how you measure it, it you know some people say some half of the internet has something to do with with AWS. It's a massive massive chunk of the internet. Well, it's 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 interesting to find things that are you know up this line of thinking that. Um, the benefit them as well as us, you know, it's like, if it's nice, if there's business incentive to make things cheaper, I mean, they do, here's just one interesting thing that they do not to like, I, I don't know enough to sing the praises of any particular company in this. So don't take this as that, but I just find this interesting. Amazon AWS has this product called EC2 and EC2 is the, what you just buy to just spin up a regular web server. So if you wanted to host your website on it, you could, and you'd go to their EC2 service and you'd say, I want this kind of computer with this kind of stuff on it. Please spin it up for me. And they'll say, well, you can do that and we'll charge you X dollars a month for it. Or if you buy it for a whole year, we'll charge you, we'll give you some percentage off. That's fine. And a lot of companies do that because when you do that, you're guaranteed to have this computer on uh, as long as you're paying for it. You know, it is spun up computer ready to go. It is yours. You bought this computer in the sky. And that's great. And a lot of companies do that because they want the satisfaction. You know, they, they want to know that that computer that they paid for is ready to go at any given time. But it turns out that a lot of companies just aren't using the ones that they bought. They're, they're ready to go all the time, but they're just not being used. So wasted electricity, right? Well, interestingly, Amazon resells those almost like an airline kind of selling too many seats for an airline they'll kind of secretly sell you this thing called EC2 spot instances, which are 90% off price-wise discounted. And, but the caveat is that the rug can be ripped out from under them at any given time. Like you could be using this computer and they just take it because the company that originally bought it is now using it again. So you can't run your thing anymore. So, So that sounds scary and dangerous. But you can architect your app to be ready for those rugs to be pulled out. You can use it for things that aren't particularly mission critical, uh, which is more and more stuff in digital these days, which is kind of interesting. So I don't know how, you know, what the economic impact of that or is or the you know long term energy usage and stuff. It's more like just a smart business move by them. But I think it makes sense. So they don't have to spin up as many computers because they're making sure that the computers that they have spun up are being used by as many people as you can by by discounting them in that way. So just a you know interesting tidbit hopefully for the that's why I like tackling it from both sides 
it's it's one thing for a company to be smart enough and say, hey, we're going to spin this one down. Like it's like going through your attic and cleaning stuff out or your archives like you were. That's a good approach. But I'm almost more attracted to approaches where it's it's somehow automated. You know, like the company itself is like, I know you're not using this, so I'm going to sell. I'm going to make I'm going to let somebody else use it. You know, like <laughs> that probably has a bigger impact in the end. Just um, finishing off. Is there anything that really in this crazy, crazy um, moment that we're in that, you know, that that has struck you and said, you know, well, in a professional in lots of things in our personal lives that said, I need to think differently about this or, or you know, this uh, this has changed my view of development or um, if it hasn't but anything that really has said wow I need to think differently about this has really changed at least challenged a perspective or shifted a perspective how fragile the world is in a way you know to see to see you know what's essentially been a couple of weeks now of the you know I mean depend it's it's months you know but depending on where you live you know the impact feels different or the timeline plays out a little differently to to me it feels just like it's just been a few weeks to watch even in my local area the unemployment rate skyrocket and businesses closing and incredible number of people getting laid off and incredible number of people on unemployment that fast like wow what a fragile place we live in you know it it makes me want to be like i I just want to make choices that you know, make me less fragile, but I want to help the world be less fragile. You know, you talked about forces earlier, you know, like what, what, what is causing it to be this way? That, that's, that played out to this is even more interesting to me because the, the, it feels like the easy answer is, or like, if you're mad on Twitter, you're going to be like, eat the rich. This is about rich people being greedy assholes. And maybe it is, but but is it that simple? Is it that there's a couple of people in white towers and they're assholes and that's why the world is bad? It just doesn't seem right. It seems like there's got to be something else going on here. There's, there's bigger factors at play. If you're interested in these sorts of ideas, I've published a book called World Wide West. You can find out more at jerrymcgovern.com slash www. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you'd like to be part of the conversational community, hop on over to thisishcd.com, where you can join the Slack community and help shape future episodes and connect with other designers around the world. Or join the HCD newsletter, where you can win books and get updates. Subscribe to our content on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And listen to any of our design podcasts, such as Getting Started in Design, Bringing Design Closer with Jerry Scullion, Prod Pod with Adrian Tan, and Ethnopod with Joe Hasbrook. Thanks for listening and see you next time.